Hello and welcome to the Equiline Podcast. This is Dr. Wendy Corin. And this is Dr. Dave Lundquist. And today's topic is stability and mobility. And that's every day's topic. Today, however, we're going to focus on the relevance of the two and how they impact each other. Yeah, because you really can't have one without the other for good motion. You can have it, it can happen, but you won't get good motion. Then you end up with lameness is really well, what happens. Well, if you have a very stable joint that is immobile, it's very stable when you don't move it. That doesn't do you any good in functionality. And as we at Equiline call it, it's necessary to be strafunctional. It's necessary to have your function and your structure be so coordinated that you are the most efficient and effective at whatever task you want to do. Yeah. So basically, stability and mobility, if you have good mobility at your ankle, because you say you're running, so you have all this mobility at your ankle, you have to have some stability at your knee in order for the ankle to go through its full range of motion, and you need the stability of the knee to help the joints above that also create motion. So we, we go alternating function through given ranges of motion and ranges of activity. So while one joint is stabilizing, it allows for the other areas of the body, whether you're a horse or a human or canine, feline defies logic because they can have the most amazing mobility and go straight from an inert blob into 10 foot straight up jump on the couch. So we're not gonna discuss them to the same extent, but what we will say is that this emphasis people have on stretching because something feels immobile is often the least effective way to improve your strafunctionality. Yeah. And this is, a, this is an issue that we saw a lot when I used to do athletic taping because we used to do athletic taping to sometimes almost immobilize a joint because there's been an injury there. So we immobilize that joint. What happens to the joint above that? Ouch. Yeah, the joint above that ends up getting so much extra pressure that there's a good possibility now you're going to have an injury at the joint above. Right. And we see that, I mean, you see that post-surgically when areas of the spine are stabilized with, um, you know, different areas of surgery in the lower back. And most surgeons in the past would warn people that this is most likely going to create a degenerative change above as that area takes on more work. Well, what we know is that you have choices about that, that you can increase your stability and increase your mobility by coordinating movements and really um, making the most out of the brain-to-body relationship. Uh, this happens in, in human patients that have had uh, like a lumbar disc and they have a fusion. They have a fusion, say, at the L5-S1 disc area because of a disc, real severe disc damage. What happens then is all that extra pressure goes to the disc above that, which isn't made to take that amount of pressure. Like the L5-S1 area takes, what, 35% of the mobility, and then usually there's like 25% in the, in the segment above that. Now all of a sudden you're asking that segment to move more because below it's moving less. And eventually that's gonna wear faster, which will end up a lot of times creating another disc issue. Unless 
you understand biomechanics, and unless you create more strength and stability coming into your posterior core, your glutes, balance between the actions so that you don't have to rely on one joint to do the work of the entire body, which coordinates motion from the tip of your head to the tip of your toes. And each joint functions in sync with the rest of your body. And as you learn to be respectful of that, as you learn that often you can't get a full extension in a horse's front leg because it doesn't trust its hind end and strengthening some muscles at the hind end will allow you to increase the flexibility in the front end. And looking for where compensations happen with motion, if it's a dog, if it's a horse, if it's a human, watching those compensations tells you where that emphasis is moving towards. And there's always a better way. And we, yeah, like Wendy was saying, we see this in quadrupeds a lot. And we learned some of this by accident because I remember one time we had a we had a horse and we were trying to adjust its neck. It would not turn its head to the right. No matter what you did, all it did was spin around and spin around. We couldn't get it to go to, we couldn't make it turn to the right. And then Wendy happened to go, oh, I'm just going to go back here and hold the, hold, put my hand on its pelvis or its it hip, hip. It was the hip. Yeah, on the hip just to make sure that it doesn't spin around. Well, what she actually ended up doing was creating stability in the hind end, and then the head was able to turn perfectly. So where there was a problem, the neck or the low back? Well, it ended up yes. being the, Yes. <laughs> it ended up the majority of the issue was coming from the hind end. And the cool thing about that is if you take in that data, then you start to look at the hip. How does that hip function in comparison? Is that hip creating that issue because it's offloading the opposite side. So it gets you to really look at... Or the stifle below. Right. It, exactly. You have to look at the pattern. And I know people love from us. They always say, well, what caused it? And my answer, as you heard last week, everything causes everything. You have to watch. You have to notice. What little tweak can you do that affects the whole? And what can you learn from that to be able to give homework, give exercises, give a, a perspective of, oh, I'm noticing this about myself. When I do this, this is where my body says, hey, pay attention here, instead of explaining it. I, I, I don't know what happens. What is, what is a, an analogous thing for when you mansplain yourself? Because we as humans do that. We rationalize pains and dysfunction rather than investigate it and get your bod squat on. <laughs> yeah, because it really takes it really takes a real sleuth sometimes to figure out where is this really coming from and what can we do to prevent this or what can we do to help this? So you got to understand what to do. Chiropractic in its nature is about increasing motion through joints and increasing neurological function through the body to help balance musculature and balance the musculoskeletal conditions, period. And movement increases messaging to the brain. So the more you move, the better the map. It's, it's like having a GPS system, and if you've only ever gone down one road, then it doesn't learn and it doesn't start seeing that, oh, well, there's a better path through that or that doesn't end at a gated community and now you have to turn around to drive an extra half an hour. It's learned that this path is the path 
of least resistance. And health is the path of least resistance when you listen to the feedback from your body. Yeah, and we've, in our human world, we deal with this all day long. People come in with issues not even knowing that they have lack of mobility <laughs> in their lumbar spine or in their pelvis or in their neck. And, and sometimes it's something that, it doesn't always create pain. Pain is just not an indicator of how well something is. Pain is an indicator of trouble. But yes. uh, things happen before that pain started. And being able to identify lack of mobility or lack of stability can lead to uh, better care. Well, it's really interesting because we, we happened to see a couple of rescue dogs this weekend at Friends of Ours, and the one dog was supposed to be a hospice end of life, but apparently it's liking its life, so years gone by, and it looked like a, a bit of a, a A-frame, stiff legs in the back and, and a big peak in the spine. Roached. Very oh, roached, yep. but but more peaked even yes. than not rounded. And I adjusted him, and his back flattened out, and he started moving his hind legs, and he then he started Atlas. running. Yeah. And at, uh, yeah, yeah, well, Atlas was the the most um, enthusiastic adjustment, uh, but it would it take it did take full spine mobilization, and then it was up up on the couch, down on the couch, and they're thinking he's fifteen, sixteen. Didn't matter. He was he, strutting all around the he house. Was he was so happy. Absolutely, they were wagging his tail and appreciating the fact that everything can get somewhat better if you take away distress on the body and allow you stress that positive stress that builds muscle, that builds connectivity, to be the primary stressor. We don't remove stress altogether, we just alter the functionality of that stress to one that is pro-health versus one that is, you know, pro-disease. Yeah. And, and you know by watching movement, you're watching other people move, you twist your ankle. How, do you, how does someone walk when they've twisted their ankle? Poorly. Yeah, but <laughs> if you look at them and you really study and watch them, what are they doing? They're trying to not move their ankle while they walk because it, the ligaments are strained. So where, are they, where is all that extra pressure going? You'll see them lift their leg up so they pull the, with their low back muscles, they're kind of lifting their whole pelvis on one side and swinging their leg around rather than through. So you can see how compensations begin because that's just the beginning. The ankle went, then that puts pressure up into the knee, which puts pressure up into the office, opposite hip, which puts pressure into the sacroiliac, and then the sacroiliac puts pressure into the lumbar spine, lumbar spine compensates through the thoracic spine, which compensates through the neck because of the writing reflex. You know, there's a writing reflex that's inherent in all of us that always keeps your head upright and level. We all have that. And so the body always tries to keep that, the eyes level. And to do that when the pelvis is twisted or the ankle's off takes a lot of compensation. And that, in turn, creates issues that eventually lead to discomfort in other areas. Well, it's fascinating, too. I love when people send me videos of their animals moving because it's where your eye goes that will give you the data. So it's really useful to have a skill set that says, I'm going to just watch this and notice where does my eye go first. 
and then close your eyes and then watch it again, choosing to look at the front limbs, choosing to look at the hind limbs, choosing to look at the sway in the body. And is there a, um, a wave-like movement through the barrel? Does the head tilt? Doesn't the head tilt? So you choose the filter, choose the focus. But I always find it fascinating that I will watch an animal go and my eyes will go to like mid rib on one side. And then I look and see and hear, does my, my evaluation match where my intent went? Or was that me rationalizing, I expect to see this, so that's all I'm gonna look for. And we have this a lot in our trainings where people have been trained to look through you know, a, a microscope and miss the big picture because by the time you see a compensation, by the time you see something where the body's trying to stabilize it and peg leg walk because your brain goes, I need to stabilize, I need to stabilize, when in fact, perhaps they needed to strengthen somewhere else because our awareness, whether we're looking at a dog, looking at a horse, is really framed by the filters that we put over our eyes before we watch or listen and it's really the best training you can do for yourself is to open your eyes and take in more data and notice what you notice before you make a judgment. Yeah. And I know having dealt with the equines for so long that a lot of times we see a lot of hip pain in horses. And, and so is that hip pain, is that a, compensa a compensation type pain? In other words, the hawk on the other side has been an issue, so it's increasing the motion through the hip on the opposite side. So you find pain in the hip, and then you think, oh, the hip is the problem, but then you find out, oh no, maybe the hawk isn't moving on the other side, then you get the hawk adjusted, and all of a sudden you got better mobility, and now you have less discomfort. And then you know, horses are also right-handed, left-handed, just like we are. And so sometimes they prefer the, if they prefer the right lead, then they end up using the left hind too much. So they end up with more discomfort in the pelvic muscles on the left, left side. So you have to be able to really be a sleuth and figure out, is this a lack of mobility problem in, in what area and a hypermobility problem in a different area? And awareness is key because one thing we notice in every species that we've had the opportunity to touch is that everyone compensates differently. Some withdraw, and, and you know those stoic animals where you can touch them and touch them, and you have to look for little cues to see where that area of dysfunction is primary in that moment. Others have such an aversion response that when you go towards touching them, they're literally running away from you before you've gotten your hands on to, to know what's going on. We have saw a lot this last week um, in the equine world where you had um, horses where the complaint was their backs or their backs or their backs or you touch it, their back you know, just falls out from under you, but you adjust the pole, you adjust the atlas and the occiput and all of the back pain goes away, all of it. So the message you were getting wasn't the cause, it was one of the effects. And so sometimes when you see either hypermobility, more than you want, which can be an instability, or a hypo 
mobility, which is increased stability, but decreased function. So none of these words are good, bad. All of these words have their place in interacting one with the other. Yeah. And so far, we've only talked about this physically. But this goes on mentally. It goes on in every aspect of your life. Relationships. If you if you have Im, if you have Immobility. lack of mobility, you have lack of mobility in your relationship. If there's an instability in your relationship, right? And lack of yeah. flexibility. Lack and of there's flexibility. there's no doubt that in in all things, mind, body, spirit, with yourself, you know, to to have that ability to have core values and core strength and then have the mobility and the flexibility to be able to accomplish what you need to accomplish because you can move through things as opposed to be stuck. Yeah, and most people who are unstable mentally have a mobility issue. They end up yeah. with depression and kind of issues that shut them down. Which is also why movement is one of the greatest painkillers, sensory awareness, stimulators, and increase in all aspects of brain function. So a simple walk with intent to move in a pain-free, healthy way. And here's the thing, if you're walking your dog and he's limping badly and getting worse, stop. If you're, if you're taking your horse out and the movement is making them worse, stop. Listen, do it differently in a way that you can create a better movement pattern. And sometimes it's, you know, taking your time, shortening up your, your workout, you're changing your intent, getting small steps of improvement so you can get back to the level of athleticism you desire and then some. So the bottom line is you can't improve mobility if you don't improve stability at the same time. They go hand in hand. You have to have both working equally. Anytime there's an imbalance in those two, you're gonna have a problem. So, lesson to be learned. Balance is the key in all things. This is Dr. Wendy Corin. This is Dr. Dave Lundquist. And this has been an Equiline Podcast.